I'm Chris, and with me is Matt, and we're slowing down, talking to the people around us between the miles. Matt, how's it going, my friend? It's going well. I uh, I got to tell you, you know, we've had a couple of episodes, uh, you know, kind of jumping back and forth between, you know, conversations where it's just been you and I um, and our stream of consciousness, right, bringing people into certain things. But I'm really excited, um, just based on what you've told me, um, about our guest today, um, you know, Jackie is uh, not only, uh, you know, comes across to me as someone that's just impactful um, and, 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 you know, passionate about what anything she puts her mind to, but uh, you know her a lot better, man. So why don't you uh, introduce uh, Jackie for our listeners? Yeah, Jackie Gatera is our uh, guest today. And um, she and I actually worked together for several years when I was at Church of the Nativity. And um, one of the things I love about Jackie is her hospitable spirit, as well as her faith. I mean, um, she uh, just for all of her guests, she jumps right into it. And uh, that's who she is and what she's about. And that's one of the things that I love about her as well. And, um, you know, I, I'm not going to spoil too much more, but uh, she's going to take us on uh, quite a journey. And uh, I'm pretty excited to share that with you guys. Um, and so without further ado, here is Jackie Gadara. Hey, Jackie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's a beautiful right. day in the neighborhood. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. This weather, this fall crisp weather coming in is, is fantastic. Um, Matt, I'm so excited for us to get to know Jackie. And, uh, you know, uh, as, as I mentioned in the intro, uh, Jackie and I worked together for several years uh, when I was at Church Nativity, and now she's moved on to Believe Big. But before I, I share any more, Jackie, why don't you share uh, with everyone a little bit about yourself, what you do, and who you are? Okay. So I think I'll start all the way back to um, just real quick brief. Um, I was born in the in the sixties, actually. But um, when I was born, I was born into a family of five. I was one of five. I was the baby girl, the only girl, the princess. And my birth parents were tragically killed in a car accident when I was eighteen months old. Um, a lot of people think, oh my gosh, that's so terrible, but the Lord had a plan and reflecting back on it. I know, um, un, like, there's no doubt in my mind that he had a glorious plan for me for the glory of God. Um, I was adopted into a family that was somewhat kind of related to my family. Um, I was born into, I don't even know what faith denomination it was. Maybe it was Methodist, um, family. And I was adopted into a Catholic family. Um, my father was a devout Catholic and raised, I was adopted into a family that became five. I was the second of the five, and then three more were um, born after me. So um, another family of five. So I have lots of siblings um, because I am united with my brothers um, as well. Uh, so I have three of those brothers are living. And then I have um, two brothers and two sisters in my Irish Catholic family. So I was born into an English family. I think on both sides, we were prom prominently English. Then I was adopted into a prominently um, Irish family. So uh, I have all that going on. It's a combination. And so I have two brothers and two sisters in, um, in my adopted family and um, raised in a very devout Catholic family, went to Catholic grade school, went to church every weekend. Um, 
just to kind of fast forward through that. My dad was very much, you know, teaching us the faith, um, quoting scripture. Um, uh, he recently passed away. My mom passed away 17 years ago. My dad just passed away in June and I, um, eulogized him. So I have a lot of reflections about him and what a blessing he was in my life. Um, did I always see him as a blessing? No. Um, I, I thought he was pushing, um, pushing something on me, but in, um, in a loving way, I, um, came out now. I have a devout faith because of my father. I think he planted a lot of seeds, but I also had a lot of aunts and uncles, um, who, you know, also were very devout, but my dad taught me the faith and that was kind of like my start. And I did walk away from my faith. So, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm curious because it sounds like you've kept great relationships with both families, right? I'm using like air quotes, so to speak, but it's obviously just your family. Yeah. So at what point, like how often were you connected with your brothers, right? Your, your birth brothers, or like, when did that like get reconnected? Like, can you just, can you sure. share with us like how that relationship, I guess, came to form over the years? Absolutely. So I actually didn't know that I was adopted until I was eight years old. So at eight, it was a, it's a big memory in my mind at eight years old, my dad sat me down in his recliner chair on his knee. And he told me that I was adopted. Um, at that point, I didn't think anything was bad about that. I thought, wow, this is really cool. I've got something great that I can tell everybody at school tomorrow. And I literally went into St. Catherine Labrae the next morning going, I'm adopted, I'm adopted. And um, I ended up one of my good friends in grade school, Barbara, I'll never forget her name, Barbara Haystack. She was also adopted. And so we had this little common thing together. We talked about being adopted together. I don't remember any specific stories. Um, so then I started asking questions. Um, I think that I was probably about nine, maybe 10, when I um, met my brother Everett, who lived in Virginia. Um, the, another really crazy part of the story is that Three of my brothers were down, moved. Um, so we were in Washington, D.C., and three of them, um, my oldest brother was 16. So he actually went off to military school, but he ended up going down to Florida with my aunt and uncle as well. But my brother, Randy and Larry, were four and five when our parents passed away, and Everett was 10. Randy and Larry went to Florida with my aunt Fran and Uncle Bill in Cocoa Beach. And Jim eventually ended there after military school. He also went into the war at some point. Um, my brother Everett was a foster child in Northern Virginia. So I think I saw Everett, but I also have photographs of me, which I do not recall any of this. I just recently got a photograph of me with all my brothers. They were driving to New York, apparently the, the Cocoa Beach family. They were driving to New York and on their way stopped by our house. And there's a photograph of me with them on my front yard. I have no memory of that. I felt like the first memory I had of actually meeting them was when I was 18 and my mom took me down to Florida for a visit with them. So that was when I thought, but, you know, I don't know if you all find photographs and go, oh my gosh, I don't have any memory of this, but. Yeah. So, so. 
you were in the DC area. You yeah. had a brother that was in Virginia, but mm-hmm. was in the foster system. And then the, uh, your other siblings, uh, one was in the military at the time. And then the other two were living with, with your aunt and uncle. Yes. Yes. Wow. And the foster, um, Everett, who was, he was actually being fostered by apparently my birth father's best friend from the service. Oh, wow. But again, there's just a lot of gaps in the story. My older brother, Jim, still living. Um, he tries to fill me in on the gaps, but there's just so many pieces to the story that I still don't know. Yeah. So what, when Chris asked you, when Chris started this conversation, he asked you, tell us about yourself. What, uh, what prompted you to start there? Um, I feel like it's really important to know your story from the beginning. Um, I just feel like God's been working since before I was born. And, um, you know, I think about that scripture that before I was ever even a thought in my parents' eyes, right. Or in my, in their mind that God was already forming me and forming me for a purpose. So I love to go all the way back because I feel like that's where my story starts in the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I, I, and I love that, Jackie. I, I mean, it, it's, it's funny because um, I remember knowing that story, um, uh, but not necessarily, I, I, I might've forgotten that you, you had this many siblings and everything like that. And it, it's this beautiful connection and, and, as long as I've known you, you've always been about connection. Um, you know, even when you started out as a volunteer um, at Nativity uh, and, and hospitality and and all those different things. And and so, like, where do you think that? Uh, do you think that's um, that that idea of connecting with others comes from the fact that you have such an intricate family tree, or um, you know, this idea of hospitality and um, know, listening and understanding people, where, where do you feel like that comes from? I really think that it's innate. I feel like God created me with this and he knew that this tragedy was going to happen and it wasn't stopped. Right. So I feel like for his glory, this story happened and, um, knowing our stories from the very beginning and understanding the details. Um, I did, I did, um, Oh gosh, what is it? The, uh, the storyline. And I don't know. I I think I did a revolve on storyline and had everybody go back and talk about like the things that happened to us and how God redeemed them. So when something happens to you that God redeems them and us really documenting our timeline in life and showing the redemption part of it. So I do think that like my personality, God has created it. But me stepping into my story and um, embracing my story, not feeling sorry for my story, but embracing it has helped me become more of who I believe God wants me to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I think like, you know, there's definitely the fact that God not only um, designs stuff in, in us, but he also creates these opportunities and these relationships to nurture that and foster that. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, you also started out talking about your father, right. And you know how he recently passed, and, but he was also a huge influence in your faith and everything like that. Um, you know, tell us a little bit more, tell us a little bit more about your dad and, and the relationship he had with church, the relationship uh, and how he introduced you guys into church um, in that regards. 
Absolutely. So just to let you know about my mom, I'm going to share a little bit about my mom in this because um, my mom, um, she married my father. She was, she was raised Methodist and she married into the Catholic church. So she didn't actually embrace the Catholic faith as much as my father did. Um, I think she felt forced into it. Um, so she, she's definitely an important part of it, but she kind of was sitting on the sidelines very unsure about her Catholic faith. That's all redeemed later. I can't wait to share that part. But, um, but my dad, um, I just adored my dad. I always adored my dad. I don't think there was ever a time in my life that I thought anything bad about my father. He loved me. He adored me. He, um, he mentored me and, um, where, you know, if my mom was tough on me, my dad would redeem that with love. And um, I just always felt so loved, so cared, so seen, so understood, um, so encouraged by him that, I mean, it is just a beautiful relationship. And when I hear of people who don't have a father relationship like I had, um, it makes me sad for them. And um, I, wanna, I wanna love them the way my father loved me. And I feel like he loved me and, um, in a way that God would show me love. So I don't know. He just loved me unconditionally. And um, he was always interested in telling me the story about my birth parents or my brothers and how I fit into the family and how I had such purpose. And he was always um, just filling me up and nurturing me, but really filling me up with good things. As we're, as we're following along the narrative, right? Like we're, we're hearing some about your mom hearing some about your dad, right? Uh, I think your reaction to the news at eight and going and sharing it, um, you know, I, I feel like there was a lot of you that sh- like almost probably shaped yourself by design, right? Without even knowing it. But I'm curious about where your story goes next, right? So we've got, um, you know, one family to the next, right? Because of the tragedy uh, of your parents at 18 months, we've got this relationship with your mom or dad, but where do you see your story taking us next? So I guess through, through eighth grade, you know, I was in the Catholic school, um, going to Catholic, Catholic, you know, all doing all the, I, I felt like I, I was on a good path. It was when I went into, at that time, it was called junior high, which I went to one year of junior high, which I guess was ninth grade at that time and in the public school. Like I had a choice. They said you could go to Catholic school or you could go to public school. Well, I couldn't wait to get out of Catholic school. I wanted to go to public school. So I went to junior high at Belt Junior High. Um, I it was a um, great year. A lot of my friends from um, St. Catherine's actually went to Belt with me, Belt Junior High with me. And so we, we kind of stayed together. But then we moved. 10th grade, we moved to South River, um, which is down in Annapolis. So I was, grew up in Montgomery County. Um, so, you know, it was definitely a very, very different. It was more like suburb, sub, suburban city life to going to like beach life because we lived on the South river. Um, it was very, very, very different. Um, I, you know, I had all these friends that I had for all these years and then I had new, no friends and I had to make new friends. So I felt like that's when things started to change a little bit for me. 
um, public school. I went to South River High School in Annapolis or Edgewater. And um, I had I had all these different friend groups. There I am again. Like I was like, oh, I'm going to be friends. They had all these. It was really interesting. They had the jocks, the burnouts and then kind of like the nobodies. Um, and so I didn't want to be a nobody. So I just kind of hung out with all these different groups and I had friends in all the groups. Um, I couldn't decide which group I wanted to be in. So I just was part of all of them. And, um, I did go to, I was going to church still on the weekends because that's what my dad wanted us to do. I was part of a youth group. I absolutely loved my youth leader, Mrs. Baumgartner. Um, and I loved, I actually had a crush on her son. He was in the group too, but, um, but Mrs. Baumgartner was, she was like the mom I didn't have. My mom was not, um, she was kind of standoffish, cold to me. Um, she was very friendly with everybody, but I just didn't feel like she nurtured me the way I saw other moms nurturing. And I desired that relationship. So Mrs. Baumgartner was kind of like that for me in youth group. So I, I continued going to youth group for that. Um, but then it was when I went off to college. So when I went off to Salisbury, then ties were broken. Um, I don't recall ever going to church. I don't even know where the Catholic church was in Salisbury. So I feel like that was when life really got different for me. How so? I didn't, I wasn't practicing my faith. I, I wasn't going to church. I, um, I had a lot of really good friends and they all went to Catholic schools as well, but I don't recall any of us ever going to church. I was there for two years. I do not remember. I don't know if I blanked out on it, but I absolutely do not remember ever going to church for the two years that I was at Salisbury. I then started living in ocean city for the summers no church. Don't recall ever going to church during those summers. So then I transferred to Towson and I might've gone to the Newman center once it was way across campus. Um, I went to immaculate, um, for Easter service once, but I, other than that, I might've gone at Christmas. Okay. Yeah. So I feel like that's when life really got different for me. So, so let's, let's, let's pause there because I think that's interesting. I think that's something that we see, you know, not with a lot of people, right? It's you, you grow up in, in your family and there are so many things that are in doctrine with tradition and, you know, this is what our family does. Like, for example, you know, um, in addition to going to church, my family, you know, ate dinner every single night together, right? Even if there was soccer or lacrosse or whatever, you know, happening, like, we somehow squeezed in dinner. Um, maybe we ate faster some nights than others, but it was just a part of it. And then, yeah, you go off to college and all those things, those guardrails, those traditions, those paths, those accountability people are, are kind of gone. But why, why do you think, um, why do you think that for for you in that situation, something that was so important to your family, especially your father, and you talked about the relationship you had with your father, like, was there a search for a church and, or it was just like, you know, um, why, why do you think there was kind of that gap or that change? I, 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 in retrospect, I look back, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Mm. I was going through the motions. I, I was raised in the faith. 
it was all around me. It felt beautiful. I could see it. I could feel it. But there was, it never hit me in a relational way. And I believe that that is the most important thing um, is to have that relationship. I, you know, like I had that relationship with my father. I never lost contact with my father, did I? Mm-hmm. Because I had a relationship with them. Um, I have a relationship with my family. I had, you know, anybody you have a relationship with, you you still connect with them. Um, I just, I, I wasn't reading I didn't know about reading scripture. I didn't, I wasn't praying prayers. I don't even recall praying, let alone not going to church. Like there was just nothing. I was just about having fun and finding my pathway in life. Yeah. So that's actually where my brain has been going through this conversation, right? So your relationship with Catholic school as you're going from eighth grade to high school is like my relationship with braces. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I need those things off as quickly as possible to then like move on to whatever. But then some things that you shared in there really, uh, you know, caught my attention. So I, I know that my experience was uh, very similar to yours when it came to um, having friends. And, And I don't know if you had like, like a keystone group of friends or people that at times you, you gravitated back towards, right? Maybe they were in your neighborhood or whatever it was. But what I noticed throughout the years for me is I was constantly bouncing around as well because I write to, and I think you alluded to this, like you are trying to find your way. You're trying to figure out and define who you're becoming, right? As a person, as you're gaining, right? a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more independence. So, so like, as I, as I see your story unfolding from high school, then moving into college, right. And there was a couple of years at Salisbury and ocean city. And I mean, those are formative years for so many people. Like I can't, I can't tell you that I had a direct focus at that point in my life of where I was going or what was going to be important to me down the road. But I think there's so much baked into the relationships, uh, both with others and ourselves, that we formed during that time. You know, I, as as I guess as I was talking through that, like, does it make you think back, right, outside of your relationship with your faith? Does it make you think back to some of the relationships you formed back then, or or even with yourself at that point in time, that maybe put you on these pathways that we'll we'll get to? Yeah, absolutely. I think that I was always seeking, you know, a lot of these relationships that I had, I don't have anymore. Like I lost, like I kept, like I would like move on and I don't have any of those friendships. So I don't even know where the people, like I had this really close group of friends in ninth grade and we did everything together. I don't even know where they are now. And then, um, the people in high school, I did reconnect, you know, I am part of a group through my high school on Facebook, which is great. I can catch up. I've been able to interact with them. Um, I don't spend a lot of time with them, but I still have that engagement with them. Um, my college friends from Salisbury, I have a really close group of friends that we still try to connect and, um, interesting. Like we were just all just, I I think that we were all wholesome, good people. Um, and we're still connected. And now I noticed that we're all very faithful. Um, we pray for one another. 
Um, I just, I got some cards and notes from these friends um, when my father passed away. So yeah, so seeking. And then as I kept going on, like when I got to, um, to Towson, still seeking, still seeking. Um, I, I think I was seeking God all along and he was seeking me, but I was ignoring it all. Um, I was too busy trying to figure out how I was going to be successful in life. I was missing the point altogether. <laughs> um, I was really off path. Just I wouldn't want to say I was slightly off path. And he was right beside me, but I just didn't even know he was there. What were you doing at that point in your life, right? When As you were chasing this success that you described? What, oh, what well, I was a party girl. I had a lot of fun. Um, I was definitely a very, I was very, very shy in high school. When I went to college, I studied communications and business. And the communications program um, really took me out of my shell. Like I had to get up and give speeches and go on TV and be on radio and um, do all these things. So it really brought me out of my shell. So I became this very outgoing, um, fun person. Um, I, I just like to have fun. I was always gathering people for fun. Like, okay, we're all going to get together and we're all going to go here and we're going to do this. But my focus was purely worldly. Mm. Like it was v- almost very externally focused to some degree. Right. Mm-hmm. And I can identify with that. I, there was a period of time so I went to West Virginia University. So there's a bit of me that can identify with what you're describing, but that really almost carried on for me a little bit too long when I reflect back. But there's so many relationships and so many things that happened during that time that I don't like look back like on it with regret. Mm-hmm. However, right, it like then sparked that next like that next version or that next opportunity for growth. And so you had said, right, like, like in this, we're in this external focus for a second. You're like, ah, just, I was chasing success, right? So there's this having a lot of fun and chasing success. You went to school for mass communication. So like, what were you doing at that point in your time, uh, that point in your life uh, professionally? So when I, uh, when I got out of college, I actually started working in, um, I guess in the, my dad wasn't in the insurance. I started out working in the insurance field and I thought, okay, that's not me. I started in advertising. I'm like, that's not me. I ended up going into retail sales, believe it or not, because that was fun for me. It was, um, I could be me. I um, worked for um, a makeup company and I loved it. I managed people and um, had fun managing, learning, growing. Um, and then I, loved sales. So then I was seeking an outside sales job and the only job I could get, um, I sold alcohol. I'm a friend of mine. Um, this guy, Dino, he was in the liquor business. And I said, I, I've, I've got to get an outside sales. Can you get me in? So I didn't, I, you know, I don't know. I think a lot of people have connections. I didn't really have any connections. So I was just using my friends as connections. So I was like trying to really, I was searching. And so I ended up going, I worked for a local distributor and sold alcohol that evolved into working for the supplier um, world. I worked for uh, Brown Foreman, Jack Daniels and Finlandia and traveled Um, in between all of this. I actually met my husband Um, and this is going to be an interesting fact because my mom always said, my dad was always saying, 
you're going to marry a nice Catholic boy. So I was definitely searching for a Catholic boy. I would ask, like, do you go to church? Did your family go? You know, even if they weren't going to church, I just needed to know that they were raised in a Catholic family. I wanted to make sure that my husband-to-be also had a really good relationship with his mother. Um, that was a real important fact. And um, I wanted to make sure they had siblings. I didn't want to have an only child. So I met my husband when I was working at the local distributor and I knew he was going to be the guy I was going to marry, although he did not know that and he was not behaving as such. But um, a couple of years later, we did get engaged and we got married. Um, so he comes from a very devout Catholic family as well. You know, it's interesting because, um, uh, you know, I think we all take these interesting journeys throughout life, right? And, um, you know, the hope is that if we stray off the path, that we come back on it and everything. You know, during that time, during that time period where, you know, your focus was on success, it was focused on money and everything like that, did you feel like you were off the path did you, um, or did it just kind of feel normal uh, in that sense? Um, I think because I was hanging out with people who were like me, it felt normal. Um, I saw the people over here that were going to church every weekend. I had plenty of friends who got married a little younger than I did. Um, John and I got engaged when I was like 32. So I had a lot of friends that were already married. They were already doing the church thing. They were taking their kids to church. So they had already graduated to that. I thought that's good for them. I'm not there yet. Um, I, I knew eventually I would be there. I just didn't know how I was going to get there. Um, so, but so, so, so when you were um, like coming back, you know, and, and you had, whether you want to call it reversion, conversion, you know, and everything like that. Tell us a little bit about that because yeah, if everything around you seems normal, if everyone around you is like you, it, it can be easy to think that, you know, nothing's missing. But obviously, um, something was, and, um, and, and you found that in your relationship with Jesus Christ. But tell us a little bit about kind of that journey back. So um, in 2004, I had my twins. And um, while I was pregnant, we did try to go. We went to church. But I, um, I, had, I had some, you know, a lot of complications in my pregnancy. And I always felt like I was going to pass out in church. So I didn't, I was so grateful for the miracle of being able to have, get pregnant and also to be pregnant with twins. That was a miraculous um, thing for us. But then um, we had the twins Then life got really busy and we would go to church and then we wouldn't go to church. And then we'd go to church. We definitely, we had them baptized in the church, um, but we weren't going regularly. Um, when my twin, the twins, um, Connor and Jack, when Jack was, um, they were three, Jack said to me, they were going to this little, um, Episcopal, I think, or Methodist, um, preschool, um, uh, up in Cockeysville here. And, um, Jack said to me, why don't we go to church? Like Tori, Tori was the pastor at this little preschool's, um, daughter. And I was like, well, we're going to go, we're going to go soon. And I remember looking at it thinking, where were we going to go? I don't even know where to go to church. Um, I just hadn't had this experience. I hadn't had this encounter with Christ. I, I, I just 
didn't really love going to church. When I went to church, I felt like I was being judged. I felt like an outsider. I didn't feel welcome. And fast forward um, a year later, my mom is diagnosed with cancer. And um, I end up being her primary caretaker. Um, she was diagnosed. It was from the day she was diagnosed to the day she passed away. It was seven weeks. It's very quick. I was with her those whole seven weeks. I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I had an encounter with Jesus. I didn't know that's what happened, but she was very sick. Like I said, she wasn't um, devout in her faith. But as I was caring for her, she was down at Mercy Hospital. I would go and visit her and spend pretty much the whole day with her during her visits there. And she would, she was different. She was really different. And I just could not pinpoint why she, um, I can, I can now, and I could right after she passed away, she was just filled with grace. Um, she was receiving her illness with grace. Um, her and I just spent a lot of time. She was not a woman of a lot of words, but she was having encounters with angels in the room. She was telling me that there were angels in the room. She was speaking to people who weren't in the room. And other than angels, she was like having conversations. And I was like, I, I, you know, I went to the hospice people and I was like, look, I was like, I think they've got my mom on too many drugs. And they were like, no, she's preparing she's preparing to go to her eternal life and this happens and she's having conversations with people. And yes, she can be seeing angels because she can see beyond the veil. Well, that just got me right there. That, that provided me an opening to something that I didn't know, something that was not of this world. And I, after she passed away, I couldn't wait to like, find out more about what she was talking about. She kept telling me she was going home over and over and over again. And I was like, you're too sick. I can't take you home. And she's like, no, I'm not going to that home. I'm going to my father's home. And that was not my mom. Like that was not a normal thing. My mother would ever say to me. And no one had ever told me anything like of the stories of this. Um, so that was kind of a big turn in my faith right here. Well you know, and, and Chris, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm jumping in here, but, you know, my wife spoke of uh, something really similar. So she, um, her sister was diagnosed with cancer shortly after our, um, we got back from our honeymoon, or at least, right, that's when she uh, broke the news. And that was in 2010. And she passed away in October of 2018. Right. So uh, we were in that fight for uh, a while. And um, towards the end, as she was in hospice, um, my wife became a care, one of the caregivers. Uh, my, my sister-in-law was certainly uh, surrounded by a ton of really great people, my mother-in-law and friends and family and, and things like that. But my wife spoke of the same things where her sister would have these moments where she'd be talking to someone or something else uh, as she was preparing. And uh, I didn't experience it firsthand, but I could tell how surreal it was for everyone that was there with her um, as they you know, kind of regaled those, those types of stories. And you know, I, I don't know that I ever anchored that down and, and I, you know, 
I don't know that I ever anchored that down to faith or religion or anything like that. Um, but there, there's obviously a spirituality to it. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, as you were sharing, that's, that's really, uh, you know, compelled, you know, compelled the, 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 the share because that the experiences too were similar, you know, with the, the diagnosis and, the you know, how, you know, our family members, you know, fought the you know, similar disease. And, and so I, so it sounds like for you, that was, that was a moment where you started to make the shift in your life. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And there was another thing that happened as well. Um, because, you know, I had, I went to all the, everything with my mom, you know, every biopsy, everything in the hospital. Um, I was there, I ended up being the one that had to deliver the message to her that her organs were failing and that she was going to be leaving soon or passing on. Um, but one, there was a moment when she was actually sleeping in the hospital. This was the other big thing. Um, there was a, a sign next to her bed. And it was like light up Baltimore. It was like a leukemia night thing. And I didn't know what this was, but this feeling came over me that I would do something with cancer. And I'm thinking, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a nurse. I cannot stand the sight of blood. Um, what would I do? I, I, I was not very good in the sciences. You know, I was like, what would I do for cancer? Because then I thought, oh, I'm sales, I'm marketing. I can make something and sell it. <laughs> or, you know, whatever, I was going to try and do something on my own. It's like, this is me working on my own engine. Right. Um, so fast forward, right. You know, my mom passes away, um, the day after our wedding anniversary, three days later, um, um, we bury her. And then three days, a couple of days after that, I just felt like the Lord wanted me to go to church. And I don't, I was not using these kind of words. I just felt like I needed to go to church. So um, I went to church and that's how I ended up at church in the nativity. I had been there before, but for some reason that was the church that the Lord led me to. And when I went in there, there was a song. This was also, my mom was singing um, religious songs um, when she was kind of sleeping or out of it. And that's when she told me she was singing with angels and they were helping her sing the song. I went into church that morning and I am not kidding. I do not know what the name of that song was today, but Al Walsh was singing the song. I lost it. I knew that I had to come back. I mean, I was crying and I saw a friend of mine there who is kind of a cousin through marriage. And she was like, what are you doing here? Um, I was like, yeah, it's kind of drastic that I'm in church, right? <laughs> but I started, uh, you know, coming back every week because I felt like the Lord had a message. I brought John, we started bringing the twins and we never missed church again. That was just a couple of days after mom passed away. So I started going to church. You know, and it's amazing how that works and, and just uh bring people up because uh i'm not sure how many people know al walsh uh was and, and is one of the worship leaders at uh church of the nativity and um you know i remember jackie you shared that story with me before and it, it is like one of those you know amazing things of just how 
people come into our lives, people come into <clears throat> faith, you know, just how God orchestrates all the Holy Spirit orchestrates that. And, um, you know, Matt, that's where, you know, Jackie and I met, she started getting involved. Um, I, I believe first with our hospitality ministry at the church, right? In fact, you know, it's, it's amazing now to look back at your journey and to hear some of these stories and just see like how it was setting up for where you are today. So, so, um, you know, you start getting involved in the church, you actually get a job at the church as the director of small groups and everything. Tell us a little bit about, you know, your, your time in small groups, but now how that's led you to where you are today. Yes. Yeah, so, um, I knew that as I was going back to church and, um, hearing the gospel, so real good thing to know is I was a very into motivational speakers and going to motivational conferences and things like that. I was blown away by the gospel and the homilies. It just was almost like I couldn't hear before. And then all of a sudden I could hear. And I was like, and this is for, I was going out on the street telling people you should come to church. It's like free motivational every week. I was like, you wouldn't believe what I am learning at church and it's free. <laughs> um, so some of the messages I started hearing is, um, you know, you need to serve, right? Like Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. And I was like, I have to serve. And I thought, well, what can I do? And I jumped up one Sunday and I went up and I, I can't remember who the person was, but she was standing at the door. And I said, I need to open doors. Somebody opened this door for me my first day here. And now I want to be that person. I want to open a door for somebody. So she said, come back next week and you can start. So that's how I started in the hospitality. Um, and then fast forward about another year, I felt like the Lord was asking me for more. And, um, I said the next time they ask for something from the pulpit, that's going to be my thing. And so it was a new year. It was like January of 2006. Um, I was telling a friend of mine how inspired I was and that I knew that the Lord wanted me to do more that year. And she had me start reading a book. She said, you should go buy this book called purpose driven life. It's at target. I went and bought it, started reading it. I'm reading it. Two weeks later, they deliver this message saying, we're becoming a purpose-driven church and we're going to start purpose-driven small groups. And I'm thinking, wow, that's a coincidence. And so I thought, well, I can help. So they said, if you would like to help, go see. Um, there was a guy named Greg Garvin that you should go see him. So I got up out of my chair and I went over to see Greg Garvin and I told him, I would like to help. I said, I can do a mean PowerPoint, you know, whatever you need me to do administratively, whatever I can do. He's like, oh, you're going to lead a small group. I was like, no, I, I don't think you understand who I am in that. I've never read the Bible. And I don't know. He's like, but you're reading the book, correct? And I said, yes. And he said, that's all you need. You're going to lead a small group. I'm signing you up. He signed me up and he put like, you know, 14 seats in my group. And from there, I became a small group leader. So, yeah. I mean, you, you're connecting, you're, you're growing your faith. Um, but all of a sudden, um, was it the Holy spirit coming in and saying like, you've got a pivot. So it was kind of parallel actually, because as I was growing my faith, you know, I was still looking for this opportunity to help cancer. So now my mom, we don't know what kind of cancer she had. My dad had, um, stage four melanoma. 
my aunt had breast cancer. My sister-in-law had ovarian cancer. So we had all these different types of cancers. And I thought I kind of got stuck because I was like, well, where do I go to help different types of cancers? So I stopped. I didn't, wasn't moving forward in 2000. Okay. So I got involved with nativity in 2006. Um, I'm leading small groups. I'm very involved in the hospitality ministry. And so that's going really well. In 2011, my husband loses his job. Um, I'm working for myself and I'm kind of pivoting in my business. I was, I owned um, a promotional marketing company and I was doing that for corporate America. And I was just feeling like the Lord really wanted me to do something more Christian-like with my work. So I thought I kept having these visions of creating a Christian t-shirt line with, um, I just knew how important the word of God was. And I really wanted people to see the word of God on the back of people's shirts so that we weren't like speaking it on their face in the front and that I would actually create these flowers on the front of the shirts. And he kept giving me this vision, but I kept thinking nobody's going to buy these. So I wasn't moving. So John loses his job. He's looking, he has me looking for a job. He ends up getting a job. Then I'm like, oh, well, then that means I can do my T-shirt thing. And I had a name. It was Amen Wear. And um, I went to this FCA event. My boys were playing lacrosse and FCA Fellowship Christian Athletes. It was the JFCA, the junior. And so we went to this party at um, the Kelly's house, Brian and Heidi Kelly. And Um, I go there and I'm thinking the Lord that morning in prayer said, make sure you introduce yourself to Heidi. And I thought, okay, I got to do this. And there was like 200 kids. I mean, it was packed. They had some Ravens player there giving his testimony that day. So it was packed in their backyard, but John's like, oh, we got to go. The boys at that point, you know, they were restless or whatever. He's like, we need to leave. And I was like, oh, I have to go meet Heidi. I went and introduced myself to Heidi and I what came out of my mouth was unexpected. It said, I said, you know, if you would like me to create you a t-shirt or anything, I just love the work that you're doing. I would love to create a t-shirt. She said, Oh, you do t-shirts. And I said, yeah, I do. I do t-shirts. And she says, um, well, I have this shirt. She runs upstairs. She comes back down and she's got this sunflower shirt. And it's like the sunflower on the front and this poem on the back. And she said, but the back of the shirt, I want you to do a prayer. I have a prayer. It's my friend's nonprofit. And I want you, can you create us a special, unique sunflower for the front of the shirt and then put the prayer on the back? I have this event coming up and I was like, done, we can do that. I said, my husband's a graphic designer and he can definitely do this. He's uh, very, very good. So got to the car. I had a photograph of the shirt and I was like, John, we have couple of weeks, we got to get this shirt designed. He went right home that day, started designing this beautiful sunflower. Um, we create these t-shirts. I don't know. I know the name of the organization is called Believe Big. That's all I know about it. I don't know what they do. I just know I have an assignment and I got to get these shirts done by November. So we get the shirts done. We create and print a hundred of them for their first fundraiser. I deliver the shirts to Heidi the night before the event. She's like, thank you very much. Sunday, I run into Brian, her husband at an FCA um, event gathering. And he's like, oh my gosh, Ivelisse loved your shirts. They sold out of all of them last night. 
and she wants to meet with you to see if you can create more shirts for her and she wants to just meet you. So I end up meeting Ivelisse and she tells me all about Believe Big. She's like, she tells me she had cancer, stage four. She overcame it. She did mistletoe through the power of prayer. And the prayer that's on the back of the shirt is the prayer, the compilation of a bunch of scriptures that her husband had come together to give her so that she could battle what was going on in her mind. But I, I was just blown away. And she said that our organization, we help all cancers, all ages. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm in. What do you need me to do? Because I've been searching for you since 2004. So here I am and I become the pretty much like the marketing and creative person for Believe Big as a volunteer. Um, I'm using my Amenware to create all of their apparel. I help them create their apparel, their website, all kinds of marketing and social media. So that happened. I didn't realize that was how you got connected with them um, was through. I, I mean, I remember those T-shirts, um, seeing them around and, and everything like that. And, and, and so that's powerful. And so you made the transition from um, being volunteer to full time staff. What, like a couple of years ago now? In 2018. Like so I thought like being at um, being the director of small groups, you know how much I love that. I absolutely love it. I felt like. It was exactly what I was going to be doing. I, I thought I'd do it for the rest of my life. That's how much I loved working in the, you know, the small group program. It was interesting in 2018, though, that I, um, I did start feeling a little bit of restlessness. Um, and I was praying. I don't know if you've ever heard of the St. Andrew's Christmas miracle prayer. So that November 30th, I started praying that prayer in um, November of 2018. I didn't have a specific miracle that I was praying for, but um, Paul Gurney and his wife, Deborah had given it out to our small group. And I thought, well, this is perfect. I'm going to pray this prayer. And I was just like, Lord, whatever it is you want for me, that's what I want. So whatever you want to give me as a miracle, I receive it. And so I prayed that miracle prayer. Um, it, you, it goes through, I guess, Christmas day, um, or Christmas Eve, Christmas day. And, um, I prayed my last prayer, but just a couple of days before that, Ivelisse had, um, called me and said that her and Heidi wanted to meet with me on December 26th to have coffee. And I was like, sure. And I didn't think anything of it because as you know, like during Christmas Eve, it's very busy. And my whole mind was just on Christmas Eve. Like, I was praying this prayer. I was doing it, but my whole mind was on getting set up at the fairgrounds and doing Christmas Eve was not thinking about the December 26th. I wake up on December 26th and I'm exhausted after all of the Christmas stuff. And then I tell John, I'm like, Oh, I have to have, I'm going to have coffee with Evelise and, and Heidi. And then he asked me the question. He said, well, what do you think they want to meet with you about? And I said, I don't know. I hadn't even thought about it. I have no idea what they want to meet me about. And I was like, maybe they want to ask me to step off the board or move roles. I, I don't know. I was on the executive board at that time. And I was just like, I don't know. I'll just go see. So we went and have coffee and I come to find out in the, like the first, she's like, well, Jimmy has been asked to, um, he worked for FCA to move out West and, um, and I have to move with him. 
and we're moving to Colorado. And, you know, I was thinking the only thought that's coming to my head is like, oh my gosh, well, what, what's going to happen with Believe Big? Like, well, what does that mean? And she's like, well, you're going to run Believe Big. And I was like, what? She's like, I'll still be the executive director, but I want to bring you on as the director of operations. And I, I said, oh no, no, I have a job and I really like it. And what do I know about being an director of operations for a nonprofit. And she's like, you are, you, that will all come. She's like, but the number one thing that I love about you and that I trust is your faith. She said, I need somebody to be here that I know will lead all the team in their faith and keep that aspect of the faith going and alive at Believe Big. And I was like, yeah, but there's a lot of other things I don't know how to do. She's like, don't worry about that. So uh, tell us a little bit about that, like leading your team or leading this team with faith. So when a patient contacts us, so um, we exist to help bridge that gap between conventional and complementary medicine. Um, so when Ivelisse was diagnosed, everything that Ivelisse did in her journey, that's exactly why Believe Big exists. So um, bridging that gap means educating um, people on comprehensive approaches to other treatments that can complement the conventional treatment. So when somebody is diagnosed with cancer, traditionally um, they will offer surgery to remove cancer. They will also offer chemotherapy or radiation therapy. Um, those are the major things that a conventional treatment team will offer. Um, but with that comes side effects, comes, um, you know, they're tired, um, lack of desire to eat, lack of energy, um, to actually live life, a zeal for life is lost. And so we, people come to us because they're seeking complementary therapy, um, specifically with mistletoe therapy, um, mistletoe that, you know, the mistletoe that you kiss under. Um, the European um, version of mistletoe has many different names. We won't get into all the different types of names. The berry and the leaf extracts um, of mistletoe can be used subcutaneously. Um, a, a naturopathic or homeopathic doctor who specializes in mistletoe therapy, they have to be trained in this, will um, prescribe subcutaneous treatments for a patient to learn how to inject it kind of like somebody would with diabetic treatments. So sub-Q um, mistletoe treatment. There's also for those that have more advanced stages to kind of really activate the immune system with mistletoe um, is infusions. And infusions are a shorter term, um, but very um, quick acting infusion of the mistletoe into the system. And just in a nutshell, it basically um, mistletoe can go into the body. It goes in like a light and it, um, it um, just kind of activates the immune system to be able to more efficiently um, heal itself, but also to um, receive conventional treatments as well. So it can be used with conventional treatments, without conventional treatments, and it can be used forever 
um, Ivelisse is still, you know, I think she'll be 13 years, no evidence of disease of stage four colorectal cancer um, on December 4th this year. And she still uses mistletoe. Um, and how, how is that starting to incorporate, I guess, right? Because there's obviously a space for this. So how's that starting to incorporate, especially in an area like this, where we have so many major medical centers in terms of, you know, more uh, adopted practice of utilizing this in the cancer treatments? So um, it is not standard of care, which means that it is not conventionally approved for doctors to prescribe it. It is um, in the anthroposophic world, um, a naturopathic doctor, um, they have all these different initials of these functional medicine doctors who are, can prescribe mistletoe um, for the treatment of cancer, but it is not conventionally approved. And how we are doing that, that's one of the things we are doing. We actually have a trial going in um, collaboration with Johns Hopkins School of Medicine Mm -hmm. And we just completed phase one of that trial and we are waiting for the data to be returned on that. And then we will be talking about going into phase two. There are generally three phases. Um, it could take us about eight years. Um, so we're a bit of a bit away from approval in the conventional side. Um, but the um, conventional um, oncology doctors will become more confident as this trial progresses because they'll, um, we just finished phase one, which is actually just making sure that it's safe, right? That nobody dies from the use of this and um, nobody died and we know that. We just don't know all of the things. Um, they said it went very, very well. Um, we know specifically because we actually do still refer patients to get mistletoe therapy, even though it's not approved in conventional medicine, when patients contact us, they speak to one of our patient advocates. We have four patient advocates. It's all free. They contact us and we provide um, free consultations and resources and education on the treatment of mistletoe. And we refer them to doctors that are trained in mistletoe. We personally vet physicians all over this country that are trained um, to administer and to prescribe mistletoe therapy in the United States. And um, we also provide wellness grants. So we provide a little bit of help um, financially for people to get this treatment because it's not approved on the conventional side. Therefore, it's not covered by health insurance. So we provide some wellness grants um, and guidance and um, prayer is a very important part of it. And I should have had a Believe mug here, but we also um, hand out Believe mugs. We mail every patient a Believe mug. And inside that Believe mug is a Have No Fear prayer, which is the compilation of the original prayer that Ivelisse's husband created for her. And all of the things that we do, we have four purposes that are focuses that we focus on, and that is education um, and providing free resources, the patient advocacy teams, um, referrals to physicians that are trained. Um, we provide webinars um, and educational um, events that people can, um, you know, learn more about the work we do. We also refer patients for oncology nutrition, specifically oncology nutrition, not just nutrition, but nutrition that will help you specifically battle 
the inflammation that is going on in your body. So they'll do that through labs and be able to say, okay, this kind of eating like this and eat this, not this um, could really help the inflammation that you're battling in your body. We also provide spiritual support. So we pray with people. We actually host prayer and healing events. Um, we offer a believe mug with the prayer in there. And um, we are also focused. Our last focus is our focus on the future. Mm-hmm. Our focus on the future is the trial that we are funding. Um, we're hoping that some other people will help us fund uh, phase two and phase three. We are working in the progress of you know raising money for that. And um, that that could be millions of dollars. And we're also in progress of developing an Institute of Health, which would be an all green facility. And we want to say it's kind of like a St. Jude's hospital for all cancer patients um, where people can afford to be treated and to receive these complementary treatments. And that will house conventional and complementary doctors. Uh, physicians um, and um, all kinds of spiritual support there as well, keeping our Christian aspect um, intact with that. But that is the future of what we're looking to do um, and all of it to help people face fight and overcome um, this horrible disease of cancer. Yeah. So, so we talked about it from the medical perspective and then like, I love the pathway that you took us down just sharing with us, not only like what you're currently working on, but the vision of where Believe Big is going. Um, I'm always curious to know how that, like how your mission and what you're doing crosses over with other nonprofits in the same space to, you know, collaborate or to help each other, right? Towards, um, you know, missions that might be running in parallel. You know, just in your experience, like how, how have relationships with other cancer-based nonprofits um, shown up in the development of Bleed Big? Yeah, so um, there's, a, there's a few that I can name locally that we've worked with. Um, Pushing Pink Elephants, they actually help deliver um, packages to breast cancer patients to kind of encourage them in their journey. They are also real big in the nutritional aspect um, as well. Um, and um, they're based out of like Harford County. So they're, um, they partner with us, um, Almond Cancer, um, which is actually for young adults um, walking their journey. You know, we actually, we've, we've talked, we've interacted. Um, I know that we refer young adults. We get plenty of young adults that come our direction. Some young adults from their program may come to us as well. There is an overlap. Um, some of our donors are their donors. Some of our volunteers are their volunteers. Um, And, and then, you know, a lot of other ones, you know, we don't specifically always work with them, but we will refer patients to them and they will to us as well. Um, But, you know, I think in nonprofit world, you just are so busy doing what you do there. We have a team of nine of us, right? And um, we have a creative director. Um, she works virtually. We have um, Ivelisse, our executive director, is located in Fort Collins, Colorado. Um, so she works, you know, from her office there. And um, her executive assistant is also in Colorado, even 45 minutes away from her, um, Autumn. Um, we also have a mug director um, or coordinator that Chris got to meet. Um, 
Jenny Gardner, and she's fantastic. She runs our mug program. She ships out all of our mugs across the country. She also hosts all of our Believe Mug paintings. Um, so people, you know, organizations can actually sign up to paint a mug or do a mugs to go. Um, we need mugs always because that's part of our program dollars. We give a mug to everybody. And um, we wanna make sure that everybody gets a mug in their hand. And um, we also have Danielle Ellington, who is our office manager. So she keeps all of the daily um, things. She keeps us all organized. <laughs> um, and we have four patient advocates that work with us as well. And um, they all work virtually, but they, um, they just, they take all the calls. They handle all the calls. They love all the patients. They love their families. Um, obviously we all interact with patients and families along the way. Um, but our patient advocates are specifically trained to talk to them, um, about ways that they can, um, connect with physicians and what type of treatment might be good for them. We do not medically recommend anything. We just kind of encourage people and provide the resources and guidance. So we're kind of like a connecting organization yeah. to that. Yeah. So, uh, Small connection uh, is I've been a part of uh, the Omen Cancer Fund efforts for, uh, you know, since, I guess, 2013. Wow. Um, and I'll be running with them in the New York City Marathon this year um, in support of them. But one thing that you mentioned that, you know, and Chris and I might have to connect with you around this offline is, you know, it sounds like the mugs that you get, they're donated, but also people are doing the artwork on those mugs That's to cool. donate them. Um, so Chris, it, it kind of makes me think like, man, is there an opportunity for our community to get together with all the great young elementary school-based kids to have like an art project to, yeah. right, to, to get some of these mugs uh, out to, you know, some of the patients and make sure that uh, I believe Big has, uh, you know, an opportunity to impact so many more families. Yeah, no, actually, um, this summer at our middle school work camp, Camp Smile, um, we had uh, Jenny come out with, um, I think you guys did, we did something like 30, 35 mugs or something. And, uh, you know, my both my sons were a part of that. And it was really cool um, just to, and, and Matt, you've got to check out the headquarters because Jackie's taking me to the headquarters and everything like that. And um, um, just these mugs, it's amazing to see the creativity that goes into it. And that's because I think when people know what they're going towards um, and that the prayers that are included, that it's just, um, it's, it, it's just this beautiful thing. So I, I, anyone who's listening, who runs a school, a church, uh, you know, whether it's a youth group or, you know, any kind of organization that wants to be a part of it, I highly recommend, you know, doing this activity because it is really cool to just learn more about, you know, what God's doing through Believe Big and just, you know, having that little bit of gift of if you're not sure, you know, because cancer, right, is just this insurmountable like thing, like and and um, and if you're not if you want to fight it and you're not sure how, I think starting out with you know prayer and a mug <laughs> is like one of the simplest things that you can do, um, but it definitely means it. And there were a couple of kids actually in our group who's who have family members who have battled or are battling cancer. And I think uh, um, uh, it was just really kind of cool to see that connection and that hope to know that there's organizations like Believe Big who are providing that hope and reminding people that they're not alone in this journey, you know, um, of life. So 
Um, you know, Jackie, uh, I think like we, 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 we could continue to talk about just the amazing things that Believe Big does and what, what the Lord does in our lives and everything like that. Um, but as we kind of wrap things up here, um, if people want to get in touch with, with you or Believe Big or any of the things that, um, you know, matter to you, like what are some of the best ways that they can connect to you? So they can actually, um, the, first of all, if they'd like to check out our website, believebig.org, um, we have a lot of um, stories on there. You can click on them and read the stories, listen to videos. If you'd like to connect directly with me, feel free to reach out to me at Jackie at believebig.org. Um, I'd love to connect with you and um, invite you into um, our mission and vision. Um, we're helping many, many patients, and we want to continue growing this mission. Um, to help everywhere. Awesome. Awesome. And I know that, uh, um, we didn't get into it too much, but you're embarking in this new healing ministry at church and the nativity and everything. And if people want to get connected with that, uh, is it just going to the nativity website or how, how do they? Yes. Get- yeah. Yeah. We actually have healing rooms on, um, Saturday, September 11th. We offer a couple different events, but, um, each month, once a month, we do offer healing rooms. And um, they're from 3 to 5 p.m. You can go to the website to the events. Um, but also reach out to me at Jackie at BelieveBig.org if you want specific questions because I can answer those. It kind of goes with the work that I do. You know, that's how the Lord works, right? It all goes together. Well, and we're all needed uh, of healing in some sort of way, um, no matter what you're facing. And, and Jackie, on behalf of Matt and all of our listeners with Between the Miles, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to staying in touch with you. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. God bless you both. Matt. Wow. There was uh, a lot that uh, we could have uh, talked about and that was a a great conversation. There was so much there already. Um, So, uh, you know, uh, just what's going on in your mind? What, what are some of the takeaways or things that you thought about during our conversation with Jackie? I'll tell you, Chris, um, you know, I think you have a way sometimes of underselling uh, just the impact that I'll get from a guest, uh, you know, in our conversations offline. But, uh, you know, Jackie's ability to really weave that story together for us today, um, you know, just about so many different aspects of her life, but how it led her uh, in the direction of Believe Big. Um, I, you know, there was just so much baked in there that I couldn't help but just sit back at times uh, and and really enjoy uh, some of the stories she was telling. But um, also, you know, just super identifiable with, you know, and, and I shared this on the episode just with what our family's gone through and, and uh, what it sounds like, you know, she's gone through through the years. There was a lot of, uh, you know, things I found myself you know, nodding my head to, but also almost sitting with at certain points in time to hear it from someone else's perspective. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, you know, it, it's it's interesting because, again, as I mentioned in the intro, I, I've known Jackie for a number of years. And there were some stories that I was like, oh, yeah, I remember her, her telling me that. And then other parts of it that um, are interesting. And I think that comes over time, right? Like we think about our story and, and a lot of it evolves and, and, and new things pop up um, in that regard. And, I, you know, the thing that struck me is something like, you know, cancer is one of those things where I think we forget at times how much of an impact that's had on so many people, right? Um, because there's not just one type of cancer and everyone goes through it in so many different times. And uh, it's kind of a sad reality when you can think of like, 
like how many people have ha either faced cancer directly or with someone there. And I, I, I found myself at times, you know, thinking about those relationships and, you know, um, she and I have a shared faith in, in where I thought about like how that has molded me in, in my journey that I've taken. Um, and, and again, like uh, in addition to the cancer uh, conversation, the other thing that really stuck out to me was just how much of a story, um, uh, how God had taken her on this journey and her faith uh, just being such a huge part of that and, and helping her make some of these decisions and switches in life from career to you know, career and, and so forth. And so, yeah, uh, just really good yeah. conversation. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's interesting, right? Cause you had mentioned, um, you know, the impact that it can have on so many different people. It made me like visualize the, um, you ever see like when you're watching like a MLB all-star game or a, a big baseball game, they'll have like, you know, during one of the innings, they'll have to stand up to cancer. Right? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you see all the people in the stadium holding up a sign and, you know, as, as um, I've reflected on some of the relationships that, you know, that I've had in my life where someone's quote unquote defeated, right. Other people that I've lost, um, you know, it goes back as far as second grade for me. So, you know, when Jackie was speaking today, right. And I don't know, I, I hope our listeners, you know, get this from the journey, but it took me all the way back to that, you know, that second grade point in time for me as well. And, and just, you know, how much the relationship has um, touched my life because it hasn't necessarily always impacted my life, but it's touched my life to the point where, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about the opportunity for, you know, what Believe Big is doing, but also at the same time, you know, how we might get involved yeah definitely definitely and if you are uh feeling impacted or uh, want to get involved uh, we'll definitely have the links to believe big um on our show notes and uh, how to get in touch with jackie and everything and if you have questions um not only for jackie but maybe for us uh, we encourage you to reach out to us at info at between the miles.com uh, you can check out our website at between the miles.com and uh, of course whether you're listening to this on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere this podcast is heard, we would love it if you um, not only left a five-star review, but shared this with someone you know who might need to hear this story. And so, again, on behalf of Matt, we're just so glad that you could spend some time with us uh, uh, having these conversations and slowing down, talking to the people around us between the miles. <laughs>